it on it and uh, just want to look a little bit more into that. So the four vipalasa are four patterns of uh, illusion or patterns of avicca. How that is it called in the Pali language? And it's a very deep teaching. It, in a way, you know, it encapsulates the whole teaching of the Buddha, really, because only, you know, with full awakening, all four of the vipalasa are overcome, so to say. And uh, just to give you like an idea, you know, the vipalasa number one. Seeing what is impermanent as permanent, and vipalasa number three, what is without a self, to see that as a self, that's overcome with stream entry. So stream entry is the first stage of awakening, according to the uh, early Buddhist teaching. So the first level of awakening does away with. Uh, Vipalasa number one and Vipalasa number three. And then, uh, then the next level of awakening is once a returner. And uh, don't worry if you don't understand, if you have not heard that before, but I just said for, for those who have heard that before, just to give you an idea. And then the next level, the third level is, is non-returner and that level does away with the fourth um, vipalasa, seeing that which is not beautiful as beautiful. And then only the arahantship, the last of the four stages of awakening, only that does away with the second one, seeing what is painful, dukkha as pleasant. So it's, it's a very deep teaching, but at the same time also, you know, it gives us an idea about in which direction our practice is going and gives us uh, something to reflect upon and to focus our energy. And so there is something real which we are experiencing, but we give that a meaning or a quality which it doesn't really have. So, you know, we do exist because, you know, I can see you and you can see me. So there is something really happening. But what we are, you know, under the influence of the Vipalasa, how we are seeing what we are experiencing, that can be changed through inside meditation. For example, no longer thinking, you know, the, that this body is a separate entity as we were trying, you know, to uh, look at that today in the elements meditation where we have, you know, very clearly we can reflect on the fact that if we don't eat for one or two months, the body will collapse. If we don't drink for four or five days, the body will not survive that. If we don't breathe just for three minutes. So it's it's a very clear reality, but still, you know, in the moment, we very often forget about that, isn't it? So, or for example, you know, if we have a flashlight in the night and then we turn it that way, it looks like 
it's a, it's a circle in the in you know in midair, but we know it's not really true. But that's you know a good example how we could uh, imagine you know that body is like that circle in midair, but in reality the body is 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 a constant changing process. And so that is just like a um, jumping board, you know, for us into investigating uh, our perceptions, our thoughts, and our views. And because, you know, those vipalasa, they operate on, on three levels of depth in our experience, and they are not necessarily hierarchical, but they mutually support each other. And Ayananda Bodhi was speaking about that today. So, for example, you know, our thoughts make up our views and we perceive in a certain way because of our thoughts and our views. So, for example, you know, if on, on, a, on a more superficial level, let's say I, I haven't eaten for like two days and then I, I think about food a lot because of that, because I'm really hungry, and then I, I go down uh, a street and what I see is all of the shops, you know, where there's food, because that's what I really, is really on my mind, weighing very strongly. And another time, you know, I might need to have a birthday present for somebody, you know, important in my life, and then I go down the same street and I see all of the shops, you know, where there is something nice I could buy, you know, in order to make that uh, person happy. So, you know, it depends what we are bringing to our experience. This is what stands out for us. And the Vipalasa, they are operating in, in that way. And so the craving, you know, distorts the whole process of cognition. Craving meaning, you know, wanting or not wanting. We're also being confused about it. That totally distorts what we what we perceive and you know how we meet our experience. And uh, you know, and also a good example is, for example, a piece of uh, rotten meat. It's for for human beings is a very something very repulsive. Whereas for a a vulture is is a is a feast because a vulture has complete different uh, value system as we have. Or walking in the forest, you know, and uh, seeing a long dark object on the forest floor. For a moment, we think it's a snake, and the whole body, you know, just shorts back. And then we look again, and no, it's just a stick, actually. And then we can continue walking. But then, you know, we might think about that while we are walking a few times. I hope there's no snakes in the forest and so on. So then it goes to the next level of uh, Vipalasa Chitta. And then, you know, if we have a phobia about snakes, for example, then it goes to the level of view and we might even not want to take a walk in the forest because we are so afraid. And even, you know, then somebody says, no, you know, in this forest there is no poisonous snakes. But even that, you know, is not helping us to let go of that phobia because it's so strong, so deep. And that's, you know, a way how we can uh, 
consider that uh, list of the of the four viparasa as uh, ways you know which are standing between us and, and reality or filters cognitive and emotional filters which through inside meditation we can uh, thin them out and uh, Because basically, you know, the meaning of confusion or delusion or ignorance is to believe that something is in a way that in fact it is not. And for that, you know, we have to have the interest and, and the patience and the courage and also the know-how to look at our experience in a, in a particular way. And, you know, the meditation teaching of the Buddha is uh, instructions to look at certain features of our experience we usually don't look at because we are so kind of wrapped up in our, you know, wants and dislikes that that we we tend to be completely occupied by that. And then, you know, a teaching comes along and... and gives us a complete different uh, direction how we can look at our experience. Rather than, you know, getting lost in, in the stories of liking and not liking, to step out of that, which is very radical, and look at our experience in completely different ways. For example, looking at the impermanence. Rather than getting stuck on pleasant and unpleasant, to let that, you know, be on a side issue and and rather look at the impermanence. And that's, you know, the first of those four vipalasa. And uh, so, you know, with the work of meditation, we are not gaining more, but we are letting go. We are letting go of wrong uh, perceptions, thoughts, and views about our experience, about ourselves, about our lives. So, you know, if we are having a good practice, then when we leave here from Spirit Rock, uh, you know, at the end of the retreat, we leave with less, not with more. We hopefully can leave some luggage, you know, behind, some, some wrong views, perceptions, and thoughts. Through investigation, you know, according to the Buddha's teaching, we can make... Uh, Progress in terms of letting things go, leaving things behind. And, uh, you know, seeing through the net of delusion which is created by our ignorance, which is created by those four vipalasa. And, and you know, seeing beyond our hopes and fears which keep us bound, you know, to those uh, vipalasa. And the hopes and fears, they have a lot to do, you know, with the pleasant and unpleasant. Because, you know, as long as the mind isn't uh, connecting with, with some wisdom teaching, for example, you know, the teaching of the Buddha, the mind is caught in just, uh, you know, wanting more pleasant and wanting to run away from unpleasant. And when, once, you know, we have 
tried that long enough and haven't really succeeded, you know, with it, then we start to get interested. Is there another way? And there is indeed another way, and the Buddha's teaching is one of those other ways, and it's a very pragmatic teaching because it has a lot of uh, skill around the teaching of meditation, which is is really very central to you know changing quote unquote our minds and uh, because you know in regards to happiness we perceive things wrongly all the while thinking that we are seeing them correctly and then you know after you know insisting on those ways of looking long enough and and you know running and running and running and never arriving really then we start to get an interest in the fact, you know, is it really true that all things are impermanent? And if we start looking in that way, it uh, it opens up. That's, you know, the first Dhamma gate, the most easy visible Dhamma gate is that of impermanence. And often, you know, when we have suffered a great loss in our lives, that's when when we are ready, you know, to to look. And, uh, you know, and then a great loss, you know, can turn out to be actually a, a blessing in disguise because it has, you know, woken us up and gotten us ready to be willing to look in this way, which, which you know, is going against the grain of uh, our society. And our of our conditioning, and you know, in order to dissolve those vipalasas, we need to to learn to move through these perceived limitations, you know, which are often connected with pleasant and unpleasant, and uh, you know, open and expand the mind and. Uh, you know, raising, rising above this uh, craving for more pleasant and uh, pushing away of, of the unpleasant. And then you're really being fully with the experience without just being concerned with, with our comfort. And... Uh, then and then the practice starts to uh, open up, and then a different comfort, you know, arises out of that. A different security, which isn't depending on having always, you know, a pleasant feeling. And we we get interested because there there comes a different um, sense of. contentment and and even in a subtle joy which comes from uh, being with the way things truly are and for that you know the mind needs to be uh, sensitized so it can actually experience that because if the mind is very attached you know to uh, sense pleasures it's it's often too coarse to be even able to to see what I'm speaking about, or to um, 
experience that subtle joy and which doesn't come from having something, but it comes from, you know, not wanting anything. And that's a freedom in that, which is, you know, it's difficult to um, sell because it doesn't cost anything. And in our society, all of the things, you know, which can't be weighed with money, uh, they, they, they don't have much value. And, and if we, you know, have had some experiences which have uh, opened our hearts and minds to be able to appreciate that, you know, then uh, our life takes on a very different um, depth. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned before, the first time when we see things correctly is, is at the time of stream entry, when we see through the first and the third vipalasa. So it's, it's, a, it's a real practice. And, uh, you know, seeing impermanence is, according to my own experience, the most easy of the of the four vipalasa to um, work with, and I suppose that is why it's in the first uh, position here in that sutta in the Anguttara Nikaya four forty nine. And you know, and how do we see impermanence? It's you know by cultivating different ways of seeing, different ways of perceiving, and and. The meditation teachings, you know, of the Buddha, for example, the four satipatthana, the four establishments of mindfulness, they help us and give us a frame so that we can perceive impermanence. And today, you know, when we were meditating on the elements, that is, as I said, you know, first establishment of mindfulness body, and then it has three subgroups. One is elements, second one is body parts, and the third one is mortality. And you know, mortality is also a theme, you know, which shows us the cutting edge of impermanence, that we're all going to one day die, and we don't know when that's going to be. But we do know it's going to happen for sure. Because everyone who's ever lived, you know, has either died or will die. And birth, you know, brings death along with it. The first moment, you know, when we come out of, of our mother's womb, death comes with us. And, you know, that's also considered a very good uh, reflection because it gives us a sense of urgency and it teaches us about impermanence. And uh, so this looking at particular features of our experience, we normally don't look. That's what is liberating. You know, not getting, not drowning in the stories of wanting and not wanting, but just looking in a very different way. And then, you know, this uh, vulnerability which our bodies 
you know, bring along because they are so dependent, you know, as we have seen in the meditation today, so dependent on the whole universe, really. And not in completely in our control. There's a certain control we have, but it's rather limited. So if we, you know, really take that in, then something starts to change because the mind starts to adapt when it really sees clearly. You know, it's not something we can learn by heart, you know, from a book or something like that, but we have to really experience it. You know, it has to be experienced individually. Otherwise, as, you know, one of the chants, you know, a chanting book says, and then, you know, experience understood then translates into wisdom and compassion. And our, you know, teacher, Archim Sumedo, he always said, you know, uh, to stand under, to really go really close to our experience, to really intimately connecting with our experience, to understand it, that changes us. Our mind changes, you know, it adapts to seeing reality. And the first time, you know, when we truly see reality is stream entry, and that's when the, the first and the third of the vipalasa are, are let go of. And then that, you know, that vulnerability of a human body and a human mind you know, it's also at the same time our capacity for, for adaptation to reality. On one hand, you know, our minds are very vulnerable. We know, you know, when we are very little, we can, you know, be easily quite traumatized, then have to work on that, you know, when we become adults and, and go into therapy and so, and so on. So that's one side of the mind. And the other side is, if mind does see reality as it is, it also it also can adapt. So it's it's vulnerable, and this this vulnerability is at the same time also a power. Because if the mind wouldn't be malleable like that, there would be no way out of delusion. So our vulnerability is also our power, and uh, that's something uh, to remember. It gives us the power to adapt to the way things truly are. And then, you know, there are some creatures like, uh, let's say, a uh, um, crocodile or a turtle or so, they are much less vulnerable than we are. They have very thick skin, uh, thick shell, and so on. And, uh, you know, they, they can't understand the Buddha's teaching, though. So, so then you can, what would you want to be a turtle or a human being? So, you know, this, this vulnerability is, is our power and that's something to remember when, you know, we are caught up in all kinds of, uh, you know, thinking about the same thing a million times. Because we just feel, you know, we can't be with the experience of it. And then we tend to split off, you know, the energy into the head and thinking, thinking, thinking. Whereas, you know, if we really want to practice with it, we, we just allow the energy 
to be what it is and, you know, breathing into it and reflecting on the impermanence of it. And then again, you know, splitting it off and going into thinking and thinking and then we remember it and then breathing into it, you know, and allowing the making, making space in the body and allowing the experience to be what it is. So that, you know, is, is uh, our practice. And, uh, you know, as long as we are not, you know, fully awakened, and I don't think there's anyone here in this hall who is, you know, we do have the um, the Noble Eightfold Path, which, you know, starts with right view and, you know, also has the sila, the precepts and, uh, you know, basic understanding of uh, how the mind works so that we learn to not buy into that, you know, not to make uh, big mistakes, which we then later regret. So that's why the precepts are a very important uh, foundation for our practice. Because sometimes, you know, we can get so uh, confused that uh, we don't see clearly, but then we can at least, you know, remember the precepts and uh, allow that, you know, to guide us and to not, you know, spill out our energy in ways which which kind of create a lot of unhappiness for ourselves and, and for others. And, you know, impermanence to work with that uh, first of the, of the four vipalasa is, uh, you know, in the meditation when the mind has settled to a, to a certain degree, you know, to turn our awareness to the changing nature of all phenomena, our thoughts, our feelings, Sounds, tastes, touches, everything, you know, what we can perceive, we can, uh, instead of getting, you know, lost in those phenomena, just paying attention to the impermanence. And, uh, you know, by paying attention to the impermanence, then... Uh, you know, the um, passion starts to be washed away through the experience of impermanence because the mind understands, you know, that that which is constantly changing, that which is constantly moving and disappearing, you know, it can't be, it can't be nailed down, it can't be possessed, it can't be controlled. And because of that, the mind starts to kind of open its grip. And that would be, you know, then the next um, level in that practice, which is called viraga or dispassion, washing away, fading away of passion, fading away of clinging. And the word viraga, you know, comes from the Pali word ranch, which means to color. So if the coloring is washed away through, you know, being really intimately with uh, impermanence, 
if that is really intimately seen for what it is, then the passion starts to kind of wear out. Viraga. And, and then, you know, if passion has been washed away, then the mind is much more capable to see the whole spectrum of experience, see the beginning and see, see the duration and then also the ending of things. Not only always glued on the beginnings, the fresh things and the young things and the new things and the lovely things, but also being able to see the whole process. And, uh, you know, being able to allow endings also. And Ayana Bodhi was mentioning that also yesterday. To also allow endings, you know, old things, sick, and everything, which is also part of life. And having the courage, you know, to look at that as well. And then still enjoying, you know, the beautiful and the lovely, of course, but not getting so totally lost in it. That's the point, you know, to bring balance, not to be just only interested in in old age, sickness and death, because that would not be much fun, but to see the whole spectrum and to be able to, uh, you know, enjoy the beauty and and whatever, you know, we really like, but not kind of completely spinning off into delusion. And, you know, and then, as Anna Poli was speaking about the rose, I think, I don't know when it was, and then, you know, that brings even a, <clears throat> a certain quality of preciousness because of the changing nature. And also it becomes clear, you know, that that beauty can only appear because everything is constantly changing. Otherwise, there wouldn't be any roses if there wouldn't be any, any change. So when, when that is really seen very deeply, not just reading it in a book, but really experiencing it personally in the meditation, then it, uh, it changes us. And, and, it, and this, this, you know, this desperate grasping and wanting and hunting after, it just starts to become less intense. And we can really, you know, we can really observe that. In hindsight, for example, you know, uh, observing ourselves in certain scenarios or so, and then seeing how that changes. That is a real, uh, you know, great um, incentive for practice when we see, you know, it, it really does work. And then if the mind really sees, you know, that everything which arises ceases at one point, if that is really clearly seen, the mind lets go. It starts with, you know, turning our awareness towards impermanence and through seeing impermanence, fading away of passion. And then the mind, which is not completely, you know, obsessed with passions, has more capacity 
to see the whole spectrum of life, you know, seeing the beginnings, but also the endings and knowing that belongs together. And then, you know, if endings are allowed, if endings are okay, if we can be with that, then the mind lets go because it understands on a very deep level it is not in control. And it's not like that the phenomena are betraying us. It's more that our expectations are just distorting phenomena and, you know, giving us the impression that they are promising us something they never promised because it isn't that way. So we, there's something to be done inside of our minds. Something has to be cleared out. And the phenomena are just what they are. And we don't have power over them. But we have power over our own minds. And, and the Buddhist teaching you know, gives us certain uh, tools which we can apply you know, to adjust the mind. And you know, to support the mind so it can adapt to the way things truly are. And then there's less and less friction in our lives, less and less dukkha. And uh, that's why we're here, I suppose. And that's at least why I started to practice, because I, you know, was interested in um, diminishing dukkha, this... Um, you know, stressfulness and uh, pain, you know, which comes from expectations which are not in sync with reality. And there's actually, you know, there's nothing to lose. Is only what we can gain is, is more peace and more space around the experience. And there's this uh, beautiful um, saying, you know, of, of Michelangelo that he said, you know, when he sees, a, when he saw a, a block of marble, he would see the sculpture already waiting inside of that block of marble and he just needed to remove the excess. And then the beauty, you know, would be there already. He already saw it waiting. And I think for us it's the same, you know. The enlightened mind is that sculpture. And we need to remove the excess luggage, you know, which we are projecting onto experience, which is in a result of conditioning on many different levels. But it has been, you know, conditioned so it can be deconditioned. It can be deconstructed. And the method for deconstructing is, you know, giving the mind support systems so that it can see reality for what it is. And then, you know, this extra luggage, this extra marble will just like, you know, drop away. And what's left is you know, the true beauty of a mind which is free from the vipalasa. And, uh, you know, my, my first teacher, Ajahn Buddhadasa, he always uh, said, you know, it all belongs to nature and we just, uh, you know, need to let go of wanting to control, wanting to own, 
wanting to possess and giving it all back, giving it all back and uh, allowing it to be what it is. And this practice um, is there exactly for that, you know, for not willfully forcing ourselves, but just through insight, allowing that, you know, the grip to just open, you know, like, a, like a flower opens. You know, when the sun is there and the rain and everything what's needed for that process to happen. And, you know, the Buddhist teaching is, we can compare it with that, is, is a very kind of conducive environment for the mind to come back to its true nature and let go of all of those distortions which are the result of conditioning on many, many levels. And you know, not having too high expectations for how quick that should all happen because that's not uh, in our control either. But the most important thing is, you know, to start and not to stop with the practice. And then at one point, it's going to happen. It's going to all, you know, drop away. And uh, if we are pushing too much, that won't really work. But it's it's a very... you know, subtle process. And in, in, the, in the scriptures, there's a very good example, you know, like uh, the ace of a carpenter, which a carpenter was using for many years, you know, and after many years, the axe handle is, is worn out and he can see his, you know, his fingerprints on the axe hand, handle. And he doesn't really know, you know, when did that happen, like three weeks ago or three years ago or... 15 years ago, he doesn't really know, but he can see, you know, the changes. And that's, you know, in hindsight, we can see that, you know, comparing, you know, our, how our mind operated maybe three years ago, we can see ch subtle changes over time. And it's really important not to have too high expectations and, uh, you know, constantly checking has some. Am I already enlightened or something like that? It would be very frustrating. That's not how it works. So, you know, I hope that uh, you find some peace, you know, during this retreat, at least for some moments, so you can have a taste, you know, of the of where we are going with this practice. A temporary, you know, um, piece of the mind is also, is, is just a little sample of the full letting go of all of the four vipalasa. And to really enjoy those moments, you know, and, and uh, savor them. And, uh, you know, get, getting the mind uh, used to those moments when, when it's really not hankering after anything. And really savoring that and uh, 
and contemplating it from time to time, you know, that that sense of contentment and subtle joy which comes from not wanting anything. Which is so radically different from what we get, uh, you know, told in our culture. Really enjoying those moments of peace and uh, of not wanting anything, and and you know they are very very subtle, and at the same time they are very very powerful, because if the mind starts to you know get a taste of that, get a, a fla- get a real understanding of that, it it. Uh, it changes its priorities. It gets less and less interested, you know, in the course things of life. And, you know, not because they are bad or anything, but just simply that they are not doing the job. And then, you know, the, that, that letting go is not something which is difficult then. Because it's, it's, a, it's a natural result of, of seeing, you know, where the freedom really lies. And then automatically we don't want <clears throat> to have so much stuff. We want to kind of simplify our lives because we start to understand And that, you know, understanding comes from really going close to our experience, being really intimately connected with our experience all the way down, you know, into discomfort also. I think that's where I want to stop tonight. And... uh, You know, wish you a good next few days because now we are really, you know, coming into the depths of the of the retreat and really, you know, savoring that opportunity which you have, you know, given to yourself as as a gift by making the choice to come here and and not, you know, doing a million other things which you could have been doing in this time. So, and then, uh, you know, before we close the session today, we want to share the merits of our practice, you know, with. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.